0: Well, thank you. That was too nice this morning. It is is—it's uh, so good to be here. It is so good. We, can I say, we love Bethel. The Carr family, the Ohio Carr family, from there, loves Bethel. And I love being able to be back here with you this morning. And I'm glad I can be here to speak w- with you while Steve is ministering in Puerto Rico. It was nice of him to let me come as he's ministering there on beaches and things like that. He'll be back with you next week, and you can let him know that I appreciated the opportunity. I am happy to uh, to be with you. You know, we obviously, for obvious reasons, we keep up with uh, things that are going on at uh, Bethel. I'm just so excited for you. Continue to be excited. There's a a large uh, part of our heart that is here with you every Sunday as we pray for you and we think about the way that God is working. One of the things I was thinking about in, in preparation for being able to speak to you today is just the way God has blessed Bethel. In amazing ways. And just one of the small ways is to be able to have a a senior pastor who has been here ministering to you with a heart for God for for almost 12 years, I believe, this summer. Steve will have been here. The influence he's had on my life and the influence he continues to have on the church. And then I thought about the rest of your staff. You have some new staff that are here, which is exciting. Uh, Some old staff that's been around for quite a while just trying to love you and minister God's truth to you and with you together uh, to just worship and and love God. And so I hope you uh, regularly just think about that. And thank God for the privilege and the opportunity that you have to be a, to be a part of what God is doing here in, uh, in Northwest Indiana. Uh, my wife and I and our family, we're in Oxford, Ohio. It's really Miami University is what the town is. Miami is a university of about 16,000 uh, undergraduates and graduates there. The rest of the town is 15,000 people, so if that tells you what the town is like at all, and it's an exciting place to be. Our church is made up of a number of community people, and then we just have tons of college students that are at the church, which just brings a lot of energy and excitement, and we love it so much. We feel like God has just just put us in the right place there uh, to have the opportunity to speak truth into the lives of young people who are saying, what is my life going to be all about? And so we're there in Oxford, Ohio. Many of you ask how you can pray for us. This is how you can pray for us. We are just trying to teach God's word and say, look, life is all about Jesus. Could you just see how great Jesus is and just go with him and give your life to him and follow him. So Sunday after Sunday in our ministry, that's what we're doing. Uh, we're just doing the same thing you're trying to do here, is to be all about Christ. And so we're doing that in our little neck of the woods. So continue to pray for us that God will bless what's going on. Uh, things are going very well there, and God is blessing. Uh, God continues to bless our family. Uh, I just keep producing more and more girls. So I... <laughs> so what God has blessed me with. I've, uh, some of your guys around here, or some of the young marrieds that uh, we were good friends with, they they've have like multiple boys. And I ask them, is there, can you help me with this? How do you figure this one out? We're We're thankful for the girls and uh, so we've got three of them now Lexis is uh, four years old Uh, Sid vicious is two years old That is her personality She got that nickname when she was very young and she is still true to it to this day That's her and then we have a five-month-old baby. Her name is quinn And uh, for those of you like to see them I think they'll be here after this service and in between if you want to if you want to say hi to them But thank you for caring for us continue to care for us uh, praying for our family and just continue to pray that god will Bless us and use us. Would you all pray with me this morning? Father, thank you for uh, the way that you have been so good to all of us. We're just grateful that you have, you have blessed us, Lord. And I thank you for this church. And I thank you for your Holy Spirit. And I thank you for Christ and the Word And I pray, Lord, that you would just let our lives be poured out for you uh, to to, to do what you have placed us here to do, to be what you have placed us here to be. Lord, I thank you. And I pray that this morning you would teach us from your word. In Christ's name, amen. I want to talk to you this morning about something that God has really been using in the life of our church in uh, Oxford, Ohio, that I hope will be a blessing to you uh, as well here this morning. I want to talk to you about biblical stewardship. Now, what comes to your mind when you hear the term stewardship? Do you think, oh, he's going to talk about money. He is going to try to make us feel guilty, try to tell us to give more. Did Pastor Steve put you up to this? He's vacationing in sunny Puerto Rico, and he said, you, okay, Jeremy, you come back and you tell them about money. No, not, not exactly. Didn't exactly work that way. Money... Is a big part of stewardship. But it's really just one small part of of the bigger issue. And unfortunately, I think sometimes this issue of money overshadows the true essence behind stewardship. Kind of one of those things where you miss the forest for the trees. And when we think stewardship, we just think money. And so then we fail to realize really the bigger design and really the bigger scheme that God has for us when it comes to stewardship. So I want to go bigger than just money this morning. And talk about stewardship as a lifestyle that affects every aspect of who we are and what we have. And so to begin, it'll probably be good for us to have a definition of stewardship. I'm going to define it like this. Stewardship is the careful and responsible management of someone else's resources. A, A steward is someone who is given another person's resources... And then they're responsible to maximize them, to do do everything they can with the resources they've been given. Like a financial planner. Uh, Some of you that are in the congregation, you're financial planners. Many of us use financial planners. A financial planner takes other people's money and they try to make wise decisions about where to put the money. This is becoming increasingly difficult in our day and age for financial planners, but nonetheless it's still their responsibility to take other people's money and invest them in a wise and in a profitable way. And if they're good at it, if they do a good job and they're responsible with the way they invest the money, there is a reward for them. It's not their money. The money does not in any way belong to them. It's somebody else's money. They just are supposed to invest it to be good stewards of what they've been given. And look, this is the role of every single Christian on the face of this earth to carefully and responsibly manage God's resources. They're not our resources. Do you realize this? Every single thing we have in our lives does not belong to us. The uh, 24 hours we get in every day, not one second of it is yours. Not one second of it is mine. None of it belongs. This moment I'm living in right now does not belong to me. It's not mine. The money that I have, the possessions I have, none of them are mine. This mind that God has given me, it's, it's not mine. It doesn't belong to me which can be a good excuse for some of us if we, we ever want to go down that route. The body, there's another going. Hey, this isn't my body. God gave it to me. You know, this is, this is his. But it's true. You know, none of this is mine. No, nothing that I have. My spouse is not really my spouse. It's, it's God's child that is there. It's not mine. It's all God's. Our job is to take all of these things that God has given to us and say, God, how could I maximize it for your glory? I mean, how can I use it in the best possible way to bring you glory for the few years that you give me on this earth? A a few years back, uh, Bethel did a series. Steve was preaching a series called Buried Treasure. Do you remember this series he did on giving? And one of the coolest things that I remember about my time at Bethel was on a Sunday morning during the Buried Treasure series where everybody who came to church got a $10 bill as they left. Do you remember this? I mean, if there was ever a Sunday to not sleep in, man, that was the Sunday to be a church. We were giving out money to people. And the point of this was, as we put a $10 bill in every person's hand, as we said, as you go out in this week, look at this $10 bill and say to yourself, this is God's money. God, what do you want me to do with this? And to think very strategically and prayerfully about, how can I maximize this money? How can I use it in the best possible way to advance God's kingdom? And the point that we were trying to get at with, with that was this. You need to see all of your money this way. Not just the $10 bill that you're holding here, but every single penny you have to recognize that it's God's. And what I'm saying to you today is, let's take it a step further and recognize that everything you have is God's. And to say, God, how can I use it to glorify you? I think in order for us to embrace this kind of a lifestyle... We have to have a particular mindset. And this is where we need the scriptures to guide our thinking. I'm not going to be in one passage of scripture this morning. We're going to flip around to a few different places. I want to develop for you a, really a theology of stewardship, saying to ourselves, what is the mindset that we need to have? What way do we need to think in terms of biblical stewardship? You can turn if you want to to Genesis chapter 1. That's the first place we're going to be at. So developing this mindset for biblical stewardship, it all starts with this, with the fact that we have been created by God. The very first verse of Scripture in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, we all know it, it says this, in the beginning God created. This is how it all started, this is how it all began. He did all of this. Everything that we see belongs to God. Now now we look around uh, us after many years, after God has created, and we recognize that we've got things like New, fancy, cool pulpits. Isn't this a cool pulpit? You know, glad to be back here with this cool pulpit. And uh, we've got lights and we have seats. And you're like, well, God didn't create these things that are here. He created the matter, though. He created all of the matter from the very beginning. And you know what you and I have done as human beings? We just sort of rearranged the stuff that God created in the first place. And since God is the one who created everything that is here, it all belongs to him. Uh, Nowadays, we have things like patents or copyrights. ...that are designed to protect our creations. I have creative rights over this thing because I am the one who came up with it. Well, God has the copyright on all creation because he created it, which means it all belongs to him. It's all his. And of course, humanity is included in this. Now, imagine God as he creates the entire world. And he gets to that, uh, that last day of creation when he creates man... He creates Adam and he, uh, he takes the dust of the ground. He breathes into his nostrils the breath of life. Can you imagine what in the world Adam was thinking as he opens his eyes and comes into consciousness? You ever thought about this before? What in the world is going on in this guy's mind? As he just looks out and he sees all of this stuff, has no words to explain it. No, he doesn't know what grass is, what trees are, what the sun is, does he? I don't, I don't know exactly how that worked. But I guarantee you one thing Adam did not do when he came into consciousness. He did not wake up and look out and be like, dude, look at all my stuff. Look at all this that I did, man. Look at all this I have. This is great. Adam was probably saying things like this. What is this? What am I? Where did I come from? Who made all of this? Who is in control? I think those were the kinds of questions Adam was asking, saying to himself, somebody else did this. All of this belongs to somebody else. Where is my place? Where do I fit? What am I supposed to do? It doesn't take very long for God to create Eve. Probably that greatest part of creation is God creates the woman. He creates Eve, sets Eve alongside Adam. And then he gives them this charge in Genesis 1.28. He says, be fruitful... And multiply and fill the earth. God says, make babies and fill up the earth. Populate the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, what is God calling them to do in this verse? Yes, he tells them to fill up the earth. And then he says, look, subdue it, have dominion over it, rule over my creation. You know what he tells them? He says, steward the earth. Be stewards of my creation. I'm the one that created all of this. I created you, and here's my charge to you. My very first command, rule over this. Steward it. Take care of the earth that I have given to you. So the very first command from all time is be stewards. Be stewards of this. Take my creation and care for it. So first of all, we have been created by God to be stewards. Secondly, we have been chosen by God. All people that have ever been created are created as stewards of God's creation. They're created as stewards of what God has placed here. But there are a special group of people who have been chosen by God for something more. We call them believers or Christians. It is those people who have trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation. God has something special for them. Ephesians 1, 3 through 5 describes this. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. That is, God chose us in Jesus before the foundation of the world, before the world ever began. Before God breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life, God had chosen a special group of people to be his children, to do something. What is it, God, that you chose for us to do? The verse says that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, According to the purpose of his will, God chose us from before time ever began to do something special, to fulfill his will as holy and blameless people on this earth. Do you recognize that God did not choose, just simply choose us for heaven? We think that sometimes. Being a Christian is all about we get to go to heaven and be with God when we die. Well, that is a great benefit of what God has done for us. But do you recognize this is not the consummation of why God has chosen us? If he did, why don't you immediately go to heaven when you trust in Jesus? You ever thought about that? I become a believer and you you just go up to heaven, it's all done, we're finished. No, God leaves us here on this earth because he has something for us to do. He has a plan and a purpose for us to fulfill on this earth. And this text tells us that, look... God chose you for his team. He puts you on his team to fulfill his will. That's absolutely amazing. I I mean, we like to be picked for teams. We like people to pick us for things, pick us as their friends. But the God of the universe picking you for his team, choosing you, we should be absolutely amazed at this. And he designed us, as he chose us, for great things, to fulfill his will as stewards On this earth. But perhaps even more significant than being created by God and chosen by God is the fact that we have also been purchased by God. So not only did He choose us before the world began, but at just the right time in history, God Himself became man, came down to this earth to live a perfectly sinless life, and eventually to die on the cross, shedding His blood, so that He could purchase us. So that he could buy us. On the cross, Jesus paid the price for us. 1 Corinthians 6 describes it this way. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own. You were bought with a price. You kind of wish Paul would, would go on with that a little bit. You know, he just kind of says it quickly. You've been bought with a price. What was the price that was paid? The death of God. God giving up his life was the price that was paid to purchase you. And the result then of this is, Paul says, there is no other outcome. There's no other response for us than to glorify God in our bodies. Because we belong to him. Because he is the one who has purchased us, which means we are his. If you go out to the store and you buy something. You go to Strack and Van Til's. You decide you're going to get some groceries. You go out to Lowe's. You decide you've got to buy a new lawnmower. You know, for the, for the spring, you guys have had a lot of water around here. I'm guessing grass is going to be growing pretty good. Come the spring, around here, you buy something, it belongs to you. You own it. It's yours. When Jesus Christ gives up his life on the cross to purchase you, you are his. You belong to him. He owns you. And that the picture that Paul is painting here about Christ buying us is the picture of this ancient slave market where they would bring out slaves in front of a crowd and sort of auction them off to people. And Paul takes this imagery over into the Christian realm and he says, you know what? This was every single person on the face of this earth. We were slaves to sin and to Satan and to this world system and destruction. We, we lived, that was our master. But Jesus Christ breaks into the slave market and says, I gave up my life. Here's the price. I want to purchase that person for myself. So that now we become we, we become his slave. We become his. And thankfully for us, he is a, he's a benevolent master. He is a good master who frees us from sin and the ways of this world and makes us his own. He treats us graciously. But most of all, what's important for us to see is that his purchasing of us means we get to be his stewards. We get to be his we get to be on board with what he is doing. We get to follow a new master, listen to new ways of doing things. We get to do his will on this earth. So, we're created by God. We are, we are chosen by him. We're purchased by him. And then one other piece is that we have been resourced by God. We're called to be stewards of God. And then we are given everything we need to be effective in carrying out that calling. Tons of verses that we could look at to recognize this, but perhaps one of the best is 2 Peter 1, 3. This is a great verse. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Man, that's a verse you could pray on every single day. You know, start your day with that verse. God, I'm trusting you have given me everything I need for life and godliness. That means for us, all the tools... All the pieces are in place for us to be faithful stewards. I like to go to Ikea. Anybody else like to go to Ikea? You like to go up to Ikea. Ikea is a great place. You go up to Ikea and uh, they do this thing where they try to have flat boxes for all of their furniture that you buy. I think they do that on purpose so you can absolutely max your car out on their products. But you go up to Ikea... And they have these flat boxes. And the idea is that uh, you have to put the furniture together. Most of it, you got to do yourself. The thing I love so much about Ikea is when you get your box home. Say you're getting a bookcase or something like that. You open up your package. And as you look in there, they have like the putting stuff together for dummies guide inside their boxes. There is visual pictures of every single step along the way. There are pictures of every single piece of hardware that you're supposed to have in your box. And sometimes even, or at least most of the time, they even give you some of the tools that you need to be able to put your bookcase together. So you just got to sit down. I, they, they, I mean, they like make it so easy a cat could put these things together. You sit down with your picture and you look step by step with all of the tools you've been given and you put your piece of furniture together. Ikea says to you, You're going to have to put your furniture together, but we're going to give you every single thing you need to get the job done. And this is what God does for us. You're going to have to do it. You're going to have to work hard. You're going to have to be faithful. You're going to have to think diligently about what it means to be a steward, to use all of the resources I've given you in your life. But you know what? I give you everything you need to get the job done. It's all there for you. And these four points then form the basis of our thinking about stewardship. That, look, I've been created by God. I mean, that alone should lead me to just say, God, what do you want me to do with all of my life? I have been chosen by God. I get to be on His team. I've been purchased by God. The, The God, the great big God of the universe gave up His life to buy me. And then... Beyond all of that, he gives me everything I need to do what he calls me to do. This leads us to say, look, I am yours, God. I'm your steward. You recognize there's all sorts of biblical images that we have that express this way of thinking. So just think about some of them with me. As we go out throughout the New Testament, Paul draws continually upon these kinds of images. He says that we are soldiers. We're soldiers. This is a stewardship image. What does a soldier do? A soldier goes through training that someone else puts them through. A soldier is given all of his equipment. A soldier takes orders from a commanding officer. We don't have rogue soldiers. We don't have soldiers to go out on the battlefield and make up their own minds and do what they want to do. They take directions and commands from their commanding officer. They follow someone else and they just steward what they've been given and what they've been told to do. Paul calls us servants or slaves, we're called vessels or jars of clay. You all in your homes, you've got plates, you've got cups, you've got all sorts of other utensils. What do those things do in your house? Like they do whatever I tell them to do. (laughs) I mean, they follow me. They follow me. I I pick them up. I use them. I put drinks in there. I put food on there. They're just there to kind of fulfill my purposes and my will for what I want to use them for. Do your plates ever look up at you and be like, "Uh uh-uh, tired of it, sick and tired of you abusing me? using me this way. you got hard water in the dishwasher. I ain't having no more of that. You're like, that's really stupid, Jeremy. Bad illustration. (laughs) But then again, how foolish is it for you and I, as vessels, to be like, nah, God, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. I'm not gonna go that way. Uh, Too hard, too much. We tend to do the same thing sometimes. And so Paul just reminds us, he says, look, we're we're vessels, we're jars of clay. Uh, We're we're told that God is a potter and we're the clay. He just molds us and forms us into shapes us into the the shape he wants us to be, to to be the vessel to be used for what he wants to do. We're stewards, is what Paul is saying. We're called God's workmanship in Ephesians 2.10. We were created to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do because we're his artwork. We're his workmanship. We're this master picture and painting that God is doing with our lives. He's the artist. We're called ambassadors. We're called ministers. All of these are images that are really saying the same thing. And you could come up with more of them. We're stewards of God. We follow him. We manage the resources that God has given to us. We seek to just please the Master in everything. Everything we have is from Him and is to be used by us to accomplish His will. Look, this is a dominant biblical theme. And I would say to you today, this is the primary way we should view our role on this earth. Have you ever thought of it that way before? That this is the primary way I need to view my role on this earth is that I am God's steward. Just supposed to use whatever he's given me to maximize his glory on this earth. This mindset should form our decision making in every single area of our lives. So that it would look like this. The person who is driven by this steward mindset would ask these kinds of questions. The biblical steward would say things like this. How should I spend God's time? It's not my time. Not a second of it belongs to me. So the biblical steward looks at life a little bit differently. They say, God, you're the one who has given me these 24 hours in my day. How do you want me to spend them? What do you want me to do with them? I have a little bit of free time where maybe I'm not working or I'm not going to school. I got this little chunk, which I normally tend to think is sort of mine. I'm watching 24, man. I'm watching Lost. You know, I'm doing this kind of thing. The biblical steward maybe watches 24, but before the biblical steward watches 24, he says, or she says, God, what do you want me to do with your time since it belongs to you? And since I don't know how much more I've got here, how can I best maximize the time that you've given to me? It's a little different way of thinking. The biblical steward says this, God, where do you want me to spend your money? Where do you want me to spend your money, God? Now, some Christians never get to this point at all. They just think all money is theirs. But Christians who have grown up in pretty good churches, who have taught about giving and finances, I think there's another danger for us. It's this, is that we might tend to think, hey, I give now, I tithe. So I get all my income, I get my money that comes in. I give God his 10%. Or maybe I'm really spiritual and like I've upped that a little bit, maybe year by year. I give God even a little bit more than that. So God, there's your money. And now I take my other 90% and I say, all right, ma'am, house payment, car payments, whatever I want to do with that, that's my money. The biblical steward looks at it differently. They say, all of it is yours, God. And God, you could take it away whenever you want. This is one of the blessings of the financial crisis that we're seeing. It's very difficult for a lot of people right now, but you know what I think God is doing in part through this financial crisis is he's helping Christians to recognize it's all his. It all belongs to him. To to not have our hope and our security, just set on those things, but to trust that God is sovereign and in control. And he's saying to us, it's all mine. Let me just remind you, look to me, I will take care of you. And as stewards, we just look at him and we say, God, how do you want me to use it? What do you want me to do with your money in every single area? The biblical steward says, How can I maximize the gifts and the abilities that God has loaned to me? I mean, God just sort of loaned these things out to us. It's so exciting to see people who embrace this kind of concept. You know, these musicians that we have up here on stage. Many of you know that I led worship up here for nine months... Uh, doing this way above my head every single Sunday as I stood up here. I watched Dustin up here, I'm like, the guy's a natural. God has gifted him to be able to do that. All of the other people, they always amaze me, musicians, because I don't do it very well. And so when I look at them, I'm like, man, God has gifted them. Thank you for serving the church by using your gifts. You go back to the children's ministry right now, and we've got people working with children who are absolutely amazing at being able to communicate with little kids. Some of you, if you went back there, would be scared out of your mind, and so would the kids. (laughs) You would be terrible at it. It's okay. That's how it is. We, We all have these little niches, these little places, these gifts that God has given to us. Some of you organize well. Some of you lead well. Some of you are great with people. Have you ever looked at that ability that you've been given and say, God, where can I best use this for your glory? Just maximize it for him. That's what a biblical steward does. That's the kind of question a biblical steward asks. A couple more. A biblical steward says, how should I treat God's children? And by this, I mean that we start to look at relationships differently. We start to look at every single person as a child of God. Not so much looking at every single person as my spouse or my friend or even as my child that God has given to me. But looking at that person as God's child. As God's spouse, for dating couples, man, this is such a good thing. If you're dating someone, to recognize that person does not belong to you. They are not yours. I mean, guys, especially if you have not put a ring on that finger and you aren't paying the bills, she is not yours. She doesn't belong to you. She belongs to God. And then even after you get married, my wife is not really my wife. It's, it, it, she is God's child. So I'm probably going to treat her a little bit differently when I begin to think that way These children are not really my children. God's just loaned them to me And my responsibility is try to help them to love him and to maximize his glory on this earth It's a different way of thinking And then lastly this one Biblical steward says how should I treat the body God has given me? This one might make you rethink donuts and french fries a little bit There's all sorts of applications for this You might say, Jeremy, you're like meddling now. I mean, you're getting a little too... This is meddling, getting a little too specific. No. Remember, it's all God's. It's all His. And the biblical steward should say, God, do you want me to exercise? How much do you want me to exercise? What do you want me to eat? What do you want me not to eat? How do you want me to to adorn the body that you've given me? What kind of clothes do you want me to wear? What do you want me to look like? It's that all-encompassing because it's all His. You see... This is a radical shift in our thinking. How often do you actually think this way? Week by week, day by day. Do you actually think to yourself in every single area of your life, God, what do you want me to do with this? Or do we tend to think this way? What do I want to do? Where do I want to spend my money? You get your stimulus check back or your tax return. or Somebody gives you some kind of gift, you come into some money. Do you look at that immediately and say, yes, finally, hardwood floors. I have been waiting for hardwood floors. Our family needs a vacation, man. Big time. We are going on vacation for sure with this money. Finally, we've been waiting. We've kind of been, we've got all these bills over here. We're sort of maxed out on our credit cards. We've come into some money. We're going to do this. Or do you say, God, this is your money. What do you want me to do with it? God may still say to you, do the hardwood floors or go to Florida He might still say that but the important thing is that as a biblical steward you ask the right question You ask him what he wants you to do with it because it's his money That he's given to you There are some people that are on the other side of this thing There are those of us who maybe Get the money that we have and we just spend it sort of frivolously on stuff But there's other people who feel a lot more smug and spiritual about themselves because whenever they come into money You you save it You put it in the bank We got any hoarders that are here? Anybody a hoarder? I mean you, peace, security, safety, you hoard all your money. You think you're better off because you're saving it and not spending it on stuff like everybody else seems to be doing, but you save it. Oh, you're you're just in the same place, man. You're just as bad because you're not saying, God, what do you want me to do with your money? He might tell you to save it, but you got to ask him the question. What does he want you to do? For some, this is a totally new way of looking at life. You've, for some that are here, you've, you've maybe never thought this way before. Uh, for some, religion or God is a duty, something you kind of do. But it isn't this all-encompassing thing where, where it affects every aspect of your life. But I've got to ask you this question then. Did Jesus give up his life to only have a part of you? Would the God of the universe be willing to come down here, sacrifice himself and die on that cruel cross to let you ride the fence? To let you take half of what he's given you and say, okay, God, this is yours and this is mine. Or does he want all of us? Some of us that are here today, you're trying to think this way. I know many of you are. You're striving to say, okay, God, just use me whatever you've given me. I want it to be used for you. But even those of us that are, you're trying to think that way, don't we need to be renewed daily in this perspective? I mean, almost. In this society, this Western culture that we live in, don't we every single day need to sit down with God and say, God, help me today. As I look out on my week, this week, help me to maximize it for your glory every single second, every single resource, every single relationship for you. Show me how to use it for you. And I think For us, for all of us living in America, this will be difficult for us to fully embrace because it means we have to stop compartmentalizing our lives. Compartmentalizing is one of the greatest threats in our day to true Christianity and to biblical stewardship. And I just want to describe it to you briefly. What is compartmentalizing? It's where we tend to do this. We separate our activities into two different categories. On the one hand, we put all of the spiritual activities that we do. And on the other side of our lives, we put all these physical activities. And so we sort of divide things up and we think of them in these two separate categories. So that for instance, on the spiritual side of our lives, we would put things like this, the weekend services. I'm here, worshiping God. I'm listening to you speak God's truth to me. This is certainly a spiritual activity. So that definitely goes in the spiritual. I'm involved in a small group maybe. Hey, that's a very spiritual activity. It's beyond Sunday morning. That's spiritual. I'm even in a Bible study. Beth Moore, baby. I'm doing really well. This is very spiritual. I uh, do ministry. I try to use my gifts to serve. I serve in children's ministry, or I greet, or I usher, or I serve people in the community, whatever it is. I'm serving. That is definitely a spiritual activity. And when you do these things, don't you feel very spiritual about them? And then, man, if you want to take it to the height of spirituality... I have devotions. I mean, I get up in the morning or at night, I pray, I read my Bible a little bit, I spend time with God. These are all very good things. But here's the problem, is when we take all of these things, we put them on this side and we say, those are spiritual, and then we have another category for our lives on the other side, which I'm just calling physical. And in this category, we tend to put things like this. Work. Work is sort of separate from a spiritual activity. I mean, Jeremy, if you would come to my place of work... see these people I got to work with? The environment that I'm in, it is anything but spiritual while I'm there. School, I'm going to go to a liberal arts college for goodness. I'm not even Bible college. I mean, certainly this is sort of a separate category of my life. My free time, I mean, I work really hard to provide for my family, to take care of people, to go to school, to work, whatever it is. My free time is, is my free time. Sometimes we do this with dating. Where we, where we say to ourselves, you know what, God, I've sort of committed my life to you. I'm trying to follow you. I mean, I do all of these spiritual activities. But when it comes to my dating life, God, I, I just, I can't find anybody who really loves you the way they should. So I'm going to kind of compromise that. I think hopefully this person will come to faith in you later on after my influence upon them. But it's going to be okay. And so we kind of compartmentalize. We say, this part is mine. And God, these things over here are yours. And as I said before, sometimes we tend to think of... Like 90% of my income is is mine because I've given my 10% to God. And so what we do with these things is we separate them. Spiritual activities in our life, but then physical activities that really don't have a lot to do with God and he probably doesn't care much about. And we separate them instead of recognizing that, look, all of this is God's. It all belongs to him. And to help us to come to the realization that, do you know, God wants to break into your workplace and into your school life and into your free time and into every other relationship that you have. He wants to redeem those things. He wants to be a part of that. And in fact, he has command over that area of your life because he gave it to you. It's all his. And he wants you to be a person that goes to work for his glory and goes to school for his glory and uses your free time to maximize what he's given to you. I'm always supposed to be a Christian. Always supposed to be a steward because it all belongs to him. My education, my career, my relationships have to be seen as a part of my stewardship so that I say, God, what do you want me to do with all of this? We have to make this shift in our thinking and stop dividing our lives into categories. It's all spiritual. Bethel tends to say it like this, all of life is worship. All of life is worship. And we're either worshiping ourselves or we're worshiping God. We have to take the mindset of a biblical steward that says, It's all yours, God. Show me what to do in every area. It's so exciting uh, to see Christians who strive to live this way. Uh, Not with perfection. None of us will ever do this perfectly. But with this real desire to be God's steward in everything. Uh, A few weeks back, I received an email about one of our grad students that we have at our church. And This student works on the campus at the Recreation Center, which is kind of a big workout facility for the school and for the community. And they often host these sporting events. Uh, Recently, this girl, her name's Jessica, she was in charge of a large event for Special Olympics. And uh, normally, this would have been, it was a big event. It would be very stressful. Lots of organizing, lots of different people involved in this event. And this was the first time she had been in charge of this and done this whole thing. After the event... A co-worker of hers, whom I have never met and does not attend church, wrote to me as this girl's pastor, and listen to what he said about her. He said, "'The only word that I feel can adequately describe her presence at the event is love. I witnessed that love she expressed to all those involved. I watched it radiate as smiles spread across faces and as it continued to pour out to others through motivated actions.' Being fortunate enough to have had some conversations with her, I am aware of how driven she feels by the force of God in her life. It's my understanding that in her faith she desires to know Christ and to follow him in his way and do as he would. As daunting and seemingly impossible a task as this is for we fragile humans, I think she brought quite a bit of something great into many people's lives. That's it. That's it. That's what we're talking about. Can you see it in this example? This person, who is not a Christian, does not even go to church, sees this person who is a believer, a follower in Jesus Christ, see that her work is not just her work. But her work is an opportunity to radiate God's grace. And so she goes into that very stressful situation and just says, God, work is yours. It's an opportunity in a very stressful environment for me to just use what you've given me to magnify your glory on this earth and to help other people see your love. And somebody who doesn't even know God catches it. They see what's going on. They see that something is different there, that something unique and amazing has broken into the normalcy of life from a christian who sees that she is a steward everywhere with everything how do you think jessica felt at the end of this event i remember talking to her the next day and you just should have seen the the beaming face that she had saying it was one of the best days she's ever had in oxford So excited and rejoicing in the way that God had worked through that secular event. Through her job. Through her work. She just kept talking about how great it was. And look, this is the reward of biblical stewardship. This is what it looks like. True fulfillment. True joy. Actually finding significance in our lives by seeing all of life as God's steward. By doing what God created us to do. No better place to be. Than to finding out what you were made for. And you know what every single Christian was made for? To be God's steward. To just maximize the resources that he's given to us. And look Bethel. If I can say this as though I was still here with you as your pastor. Because I feel it in my heart. We have been given so much. We're the wealthiest country in the history of civilization. You are the wealthiest people who have ever lived on the face of this earth. Even in the economic crisis, if it still goes down, you will still be the wealthiest people in the history of the world. The freedom that we have, the education that we have opportunities for, the privileges and the opportunities that we have, the technological advances, and all of the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ— think about all we can do for the master. Think about how we can maximize these resources that he has given to us as we embrace our role as stewards. We might just be able to change the world. That's not too big of a vision. What might God do through us if we embrace our role as stewards? We have been created by God, chosen by God, purchased and resourced. I'm his steward. Everything I have is his. Would you bow your heads with me? And I just want to ask you to think about this for a second. Some of you that are here today, uh, maybe you just need to embrace this for the first time. Maybe you haven't even decided to be a follower of Jesus Christ yet. I'm telling you, man, there is no other place to be. The one who created you knows what life is all about. So listen to him and look to him for those answers. And there's many of us that are here that we maybe just need to start looking at life this way. God, I'm yours. So let the Spirit just work in your heart. Pray for a minute. Some maybe today just renew your commitment to to being a good steward of everything. Maybe there's a specific area of your life where God would just point it out. Maybe it's money or the use of your time or your relationships. Just ask God to show you that it's all his And ask him to help you maximize it for his glory. Pray for a second and then I'll close this.